Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How could he do that? Are you on? What? Charles Darwin. Welcome, everybody, into Nerd Sesh. I'm your host, Carson Brever. Alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we're going to start off by running down some of the main NBA storylines of the week. So there wasn't a lot of basketball. There was no basketball, actually, until this Thursday because we had All-Star Weekend. But there was a good amount that happened. And... I don't remember if this was the first chronologically, but the first one we're going to talk about, Reggie Jackson, bought out by the Detroit Pistons, signed by the LA Clippers. Logan, is this news or is this not news? I mean, this is definitely news when you add a player the caliber of Reggie Jackson to an already, you know, stacked bench. I think the biggest aspect of this is not what the Clippers added, but what they kept away from the Lakers. I mean, we knew that the Lakers were in the market to get another solid point guard. Um, You know, we heard the Spencer Dinwiddie rumors. We heard the Reggie Jackson rumors. I don't know what his role moving forward is going to be with the Clippers. We saw he had about 22 minutes. He scored eight points in his first game with L.A. I think this is definitely news, though, because Reggie Jackson's a good basketball player. Ready, Logan, to be disagreed with? Uh, Sure. This is not news. First off, Reggie Jackson needs to show that he can stay on the floor because he missed the first 40-something games of the season. This will be the third time in four years he misses at least 30 games. And second off, he's a ball-dominant, inefficient, selfish ball handler who doesn't play defense. And there is no room for that in this rotation where you have a team that is extremely deep as is and has plenty of bench creators. So I don't know who he's taking minutes from. I'm not playing him over a Landry Shamit because Shamit doesn't need the ball to effective to be effective, gives me more defensively, gives me spacing, things that Reggie Jackson does not give me. And I don't want Reggie Jackson taking the ball out of the hands of Lou Williams, even Patrick Beverly. So I don't see his role because what he does is he's a score-first point, basically. He doesn't play defense anymore. He can't space the floor. He's not a great playmaker. And they don't need that guy off the bench because they have already three of the best bench scores in basketball in Lou, Trez, and Marcus Morris. I don't understand. I, I get what's your point. I get your point. You can't stay on the floor. Mm-hmm. But well, it's beyond that. He's not that good when he's on the floor. You just sound like you have a hatred for Reggie Jackson. I just don't think Reggie Jackson's good, and I don't think that he's an effective basketball player. And I think, especially situationally, 
where they already have so many competent to good role players and guys coming off the bench. You don't need a guy that's going to soak up a bunch of touches and a bunch of shots and doesn't give you things that are valuable like versatile defense or three-point shooting. So why would the Clippers make this move? That's a good question. I guess because there's not really any downside to it. I mean, worst comes to worst, you don't play him. And you are right on the front that I don't think that he's a very good basketball player, but he would definitely be more valuable for a team like the Lakers where they do potentially need that bench creator. I still wouldn't like it for them per se because I I just think he he demands more than he gives you overall. But I, I guess they wanted to keep him away from the other LA team. But another guy got bought out by Detroit that they could not keep away from the other LA team, and that is Markeith Morris, who was signed by the Lakers. Unfortunately, with that, DeMarcus Cousins was cut. Logan, is this news or not news? I don't really think it's news. I mean, you get another decent body out there for L.A. What do you anticipate his role is moving forward? So we're going to disagree on this one, too. Wow. I think that this one is news because this is a different Marquis Morris that we've seen this year for the most part. He's actually taking half of his shots from three. He's hitting them at a 40% clip, so it's not as much of the high post, let me go one-on-one, the stuff that Marcus and him basically have built their brand on since Kansas. That's the kind of players that they are. He's a guy that can spot up. He can get his own shot when needed. He's tough. He's a physical presence. And he doesn't quite have the ego of a Marcus Morris because he's never been the guy. And he's not quite as good as Marcus. So I like it overall. And I think that for this LA team to have more competent wings is not a bad thing because Kuzma has his flaws. KCP definitely has his flaws. So I like him being a rotational piece that they can throw in there for 20 minutes a game or so. And I think especially if he's willing to spot up, he can be valuable. Yeah, I agree on that part. I just who is he going to take minutes from? I think that there are minutes to find for him. I think that matching up directly, there are times where I'd rather see him out there than KCP. Now they don't, they aren't exactly the same position. Mm-hmm. I mean, Morris is more of a four, whereas KCP is probably a two or a three. But they're both wings for the most part, I would say. Mm-hmm. So I think that they will find minutes for him, and I think that he'll be largely effective when he's out there. Moving on, John Beeline left the Cleveland Cavaliers just about halfway through his first, or more than halfway through his first season as an NBA coach. Of course, came after being the longtime coach at Michigan where he was very successful. And now he's been replaced by J.B. Bakerstaff, who is the ultimate interim head coach. And it just cracks me up that he he fills in everywhere whenever Mm -hmm. anyone gets fired. So, Logan, is this news or not news? Yeah, I mean, I think this is news because the Cavaliers, I I was... Carson, I was certain that John Beeline was going to be a good mm-hmm. NBA head coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I would talk with my friends, uh, my, my one of my best friends from Michigan. We'd always talk about how good a coach John Beeline is. We saw what he did with Michigan in the tournament every single season. And so I was super confident that Beeline was going to be solid. I think this is news, though. I mean, it just proves how—I'm not going to say that the Cavaliers organization is incompetent for making this maneuver, but it just—it sheds—it shines such a bad light on— on Cleveland's front office that they just can't get this right. I agree. I mean, this is news because it shows how much of a mess their culture is there. And maybe getting Beeline out of there will be a good thing long term. Maybe he was a significant negative for them culturally, but nonetheless, he was there and he Mm -hmm. was instilling bad habits in these young guards, particularly when I look at Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, guys Mm -hmm. that they have invested serious draft capital in, who, first of all, I don't think can coexist at all. And now they're teaching them, you know, you don't have to play defense because we're, we're just going to lose all the time. And we have a coach that is incompetent and it's going to be this, you know, this circus for for your youth as a player. That is bad for guys. Losing is very bad. It instills bad habits. And now also there's even more toxicity because apparently Drummond hates it there, which is kind of unsurprising because it's a terrible basketball situation. We know how much uh, how many tantrums Kevin Love has thrown this year. So it's just a terrible environment to be in. 
I have to ask you this, Carson. How did John Beeline outlast Jim, or how did Jim Boylan outlast John Beeline? That's an excellent question. I think that Boylan was competent enough this offseason where he sort of swung some guys, where it seemed like they were all out on him, and then they were back in, and now they are all the way back out. But that's an excellent question. I think probably the answer is Beeline hated this job and knows that he can get a top-tier top college job if he wants mm-hmm. to again, whereas Jim Boylan does not have that sort of credibility, and he'll just take whatever NBA job he can get. Let's move on to a former Cleveland Cavalier, a guy that brought the Cleveland Cavaliers a championship in large part. Kyrie Irving will miss the rest of the season with a shoulder surgery. Logan, is this news or not news? Oh, I mean, this is big-time news. It brings up a lot of concerns moving forward for Kyrie Irving. He's He's been hurt before. Um, he does not—I don't think he likes it at all in Brooklyn. I mean, now, I, I asked you this before the show. Do you think this is an excuse? And obviously, he is having surgery. I don't think Kyrie Irving wants to play. I think this wor- works—I'm not going to say getting hurt works— to his, you know, to his plan, mm-hmm. but I don't think he wants to be out there on the floor without Kevin Durant. I agree. I don't think he had any intention of playing much this season or playing hard. We saw he basically gave it 11 games and then said, okay, I'm done for the rest of the season. I'm not going to tell anyone what's going on with my injury. It does appear to be a legitimate and maybe serious injury, but that is part of what makes this news because Kyrie Irving in his NBA career averages 58.7 games per season. He has played 60 games or less in five of his nine seasons, and now your franchise, which you know you would have thought coming into the season was in the best place it has ever been with Kyrie and KD, mm-hmm. is resting on a highly injury-prone Kyrie Irving and what will be a 32-year-old Kevin Durant coming off of a torn Achilles, which is the most devastating injury for a basketball player. Everyone except Dominique has come back a lesser version of themselves mm-hmm. after a torn Achilles. And basketball history says that means no title, Logan, because let me run down to you some of the great dynamic duos that had injury concerns coming mm-hmm. in that were destroyed by injuries because I cannot find an example where two guys have come in with resumes looking like Kyrie and KD's injury-wise, mm-hmm. and they've succeeded. You go back to T-Mac and Grant Hill, obviously a disaster. Grant Hill yeah. could not stay healthy for a season. CP3 and Blake. Blake obviously had his injury concerns for his entire career, as did CP3, and I think you would argue that they underachieved because there Mm -hmm. were teams where people thought they should be in the championship conversation. Melo and Amare. Amare, after a year, done. His career was over. Uh, T-Mac and Yao Ming. One season where both those guys played over 55 games, and you go all the way back even to say, here's a deep cut for you, Bill Walton and World Be Free. Bill Walton had the worst feet in NBA history, so he just couldn't play. So it just shows... Everything in basketball history says this is not going to work out if the goal is winning a title. And some of those examples I named are with just one really injury-prone guy. Now you're talking about two, and as much as I love KD and think that he is one of probably the ten most talented basketball players of all time, if he's not superhuman, he's not going to be the same. So then, Carson, I'll ask you this. where What's the ceiling for this Brooklyn Nets team next year? That is so dependent on how KD looks. If KD is... 95% of himself, I think that they could be a great basketball team. Do I trust them to stay healthy? No. And does basketball history suggest KD would be 95% of himself? No, we talk about him like he's going to be coming back as Kevin Durant, but that's that doesn't happen after torn Achilles. It just doesn't happen. Kevin Durant is 32 years old next season. Yeah. That's hard to think about. It's hard to think about, and it's problematic when you're dealing with injury recovery, mm-hmm. especially because that just gets harder as you get older. So we agree on that. Moving on, the Houston Rockets continue to go all in on their small ball vision, signing Jeff Green to a 10-day contract and signing Damari Carroll for the rest of the season. That fills their two remaining roster spots unless they let Jeff Green go after that 10-day. Logan, is this news or not news? It's news, and I'll tell you why, Carson. 
this reinforces the point that Houston's been trying to send home for this season, really. They are going full in on the small ball, as you mm-hmm. mentioned. They are going three-point shooting. They are going they're going small. And bringing in Jeff Green and Damari Carroll when I fully expected them to bring in a big man, yeah. a seven-footer, somebody who can grab a rebound, um, I think this is news purely because the Rockets are telling the entire league and all the fans around the world that mm-hmm. we don't care what you guys are saying. We're not going to, I guess, conform to the rest of the league. So I think that this might be news. And it is news if it turns out, as you just said, if it ends up that Jeff Green takes that roster spot for the entire year. My question is, I don't think that they wanted to bring Jeff Green in for the full year. And I think they show that by the fact that they just gave him a 10 day because they wanted someone like a Tristan Thompson or another playable big man to enter the buyout market because Jeff Green is not good. He's not reliable enough as a shooter. He's a 33% career three point shooter and not willing enough defensively for consistent minutes on this team that already has an abundance of wings, but in his debut got 17 points in 24 minutes, which could be enough on such a small sample size to force the Rockets' hand to bring him on full year, which then means they couldn't get a possible mm-hmm. big man buyout candidate. If that happens, I think it's news. Carson, isn't it funny how Jeff Green is always the like the last guy for a championship uh, squad? He's always the answer. We, we saw it back in uh, L.A. with Paul and uh, uh, Griffin. We saw mm-hmm. it in Cleveland where yeah. they bring in Jeff Green and... I'm not saying it's here for Houston because I don't expect a championship out of Houston, but I just think it's funny how Jeff Green's always the guy the teams turn to. Yeah, Jeff Green is going to end up his career playing for a lot of teams. And then if you look at the other guy, Damari Carroll, Carroll is a competent 3 and D wing. He Mm -hmm. couldn't get minutes for the Spurs, which is not a great basketball team. He played 13 minutes in his debut for the Rockets, didn't shoot once. So I still think he has more value than Jeff Green because... He's tougher defensively. He's mm-hmm. a more reliable three-point shooter, 36% for his career. And he was getting legitimate minutes on a playoff team last year. So that, to me, is the more significant of the two. And we will see if the Rockets are really that committed to Jeff Green. One last story for you, Logan. The Golden State Warriors officially signed Dragon Bender to a 10-day contract. Is this news or not news? You know, Carson, I got a really good feeling about this kid. Uh, he's the fourth overall Talented. pick in the draft. Talented I, kid, no doubt. I think we could be looking at, you know, Kristaps Porzingis or uh, Dirk Nowitzki 2.0. Absolutely. I totally agree. This is big-time news. It's not actually news for those of you that, that weren't picking up on that. But... <laughs> At this point in the season, Logan, we are just past two-thirds of the way into it, and so I think that we are really starting to get a clear picture of which teams are legitimate contenders and which teams are not. So we are going to be going through the three through five seeds in both the East and the West. I don't mean to disrespect the Denver Nuggets, but we're going to be counting them as a three seed just because it's so obvious and boring Mm -hmm. to say, yes, the Clippers are titles contenders. And I think that we both agree Mm -hmm. because we both picked the Raptors that the Raptors are definitely title contenders. So we're going to be going through these teams, talking about if there is a world in which you can see them in the finals and if they are contenders. So we're going to start with the Boston Celtics. Are they contenders to make the finals? Yes, I think so. I mean, you have three all-star caliber players on this roster, and Gordon Hayward is back giving the Celtics Mm -hmm. good minutes. Um, You have Marcus Smart always playing solid defense. He can defend at least four positions and maybe five. Marcus Smart's a beast. This team is talented. They're deep. And, I mean, if you want to go down some numbers, they're fifth in offensive rating this season and fourth in defensive rating. Mm -hmm. I love Brad Stevens. I'm so glad they picked up Kemba Walker. I think Boston is a, a dark horse or a sleeper out of the East. I absolutely agree. They are 100% a contender to make the finals. They have incredible versatility lineup-wise because they have so many good wings. And if you're counting Marcus Smart, whatever you want to consider him, 
there are so many different ways that you can attack the opponent. They are elite both ways. They're 39 and 17 on the year, but they're 37 and 15 when Jason Tatum plays. So they're two and four without him. So now you're talking about an mm -hmm. even more elite record. And when they are healthy, because everyone's been banged up this year, especially Gordon Hayward, but it's been tough to get all their best guys out there at the same mm -hmm. time. When they play lineups that have Gordon Hayward, Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum on the floor together, that has an offensive rating of 120.9 in 216 minutes. So easily the best offense ever. And that's a legitimate yeah. sample size. That's like six games because you have so much shooting. And at the same time, that's very legitimate defensively. And is that starting five or are you saying just minutes they're together on the that's floor? That's just minutes they're together okay. on the floor. And if you look at some of their stats, they are impressive against good teams. They're 13, 13 and 10 against teams that are 500 and better. They're 1 and 1 versus Milwaukee and they're 2 and 1 versus Toronto. So they're beating the best competition out there. And then to me, the key is people always talk about the team that has the best player in the series is the one that's going to win the series mm -hmm. more often than not. Can Jason Tatum be that guy? Well, since January 11th, in 16 games, he's averaging 27.6 points, 7 rebounds, and 3 assists a game on 50, 45, 77 shooting splits, getting to the line over 6 times a game, which always was a huge criticism of him. At 21 years old, Logan, I know you came into the season a bit of a Tatum denier. Is he good enough to be the guy for them if they make the finals? That's a tough question. Um... At this point, I would probably say no, just because you're looking at, if they got to the finals in the West, you're looking at matching up against a guy like Kawhi and Paul George or LeBron or mm. Jokic, and I just don't think Boston has enough, a little bit of a spoiler there, or Jokic. Yeah. We'll get to the Nuggets later. <laughs> um, I don't think they have the defensive um, ball stoppers. I don't think they have defensive personnel who can shut down those guys, but offensively and in the future, I think Jason Tatum could be a guy that we see can lead the Celtic squad to the finals. Yeah, and that is the thing. I mean, he is still developing. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not his ceiling. He's 21 years old. Although some people have said that he's probably at a ceiling. Although, yes, it has been said. <laughs> I think that, I mean, I've loved Tatum forever. After his rookie year, I said he was going to be a top five guy in the league someday. And there were times where that looked a little bit foolish, where he wasn't getting the line, where he was settling too much for mid-range. But the scorer's skill set has always been there and how he's developed defensively. I don't think that I, I don't think the Celtics have a great chance of winning the title, mm -hmm. but I think they're a very legitimate candidate to at least get to the finals. Even earlier this season, you were very uh, heavy on criticizing Jason Tatum for his game, but he's turned it around. Absolutely turned it around. He's been much better as of late. And the defense has been huge, too. Mm -hmm. He's been great there all year. Let's move on to the three seed in the West, the Denver Nuggets, who you just talked about. They're currently 38-18. and 18. I think they're about to move to 39-18 and because they're playing the Timberwolves. They're actually the two seed, but we're considering them the three seed. Logan, are they legitimate contenders to make the finals? Yes and no. I know I just said Jokic in the finals, and mm -hmm. I can see it. I mean, they're led by a dominant and slimmer than start of the year, Nikola Jokic. Yes, he's dropped some weight. This team is really deep and have a lot of talented wings. I mean, we've seen the emergence of Jamal Murray, and I think this team would really have a really good shot if Gary Harris had come back and been the Gary Harris that we saw yeah. when he was healthy. Yeah. The reason that I'm saying they're probably not is I ultimately think they're going to fall at the hands of one of the Los Angeles squads. If this was a, I guess, a less top-heavy West, if the Nuggets were, well, I, I guess it's kind of easy to say, if the Nuggets were the only good mm -hmm. team in the West, this team is really good, and I think there is some decent potential for them getting into the finals this year. I think that they're great. I love the Nuggets. I think I've been very clear and transparent about that, but I do not see a world in which they are in the finals. 
And the numbers will tell you, you know, they're 15 and 10 against teams that are 500 or better. That's the third best in the NBA. That's great. Jokic is playing legitimately at an MVP level. That is not an exaggeration. That's not something that I'm throwing out there. Like, I wouldn't say Jason Tatum has been playing at an MVP level just because he's had a great 16 games. Jokic, since the first month Mm -hmm. of the season when he started caring, is a top three MVP candidate, hands down. They have the number eight offense in basketball by offensive rating and the number 12 defensive rating. But I just kind of feel like we all know that they're not really there. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is people don't want to dismiss the Nuggets because they are a great young team. And obviously it's, oh, the stars in L.A., but here are the Nuggets who are doing it consistently night to night. And they have all these great results and these great players. But I have this feeling in my gut when Jamal Murray is your second best player. And when sometimes Will Barton is your closer down the stretch, Will Barton is the most confident guy out there, most willing to take a shot, and you are dealing with LeBron and Anthony Davis or Kawhi PG and a really strong Clippers supporting cast in a series, people are going to be able to attack Jamal Murray on defense. He is a legitimate liability there, and Jokic still has some serious defensive issues. I know that he definitely performs better than he should considering his athleticism and the fact that he can't vertically contest anyone, but... If the Lakers want to go at him, if the Clippers want to go at him, I believe they can, and I just don't see a world in which they beat those two teams as great as they are and as much as I enjoy watching them. This offseason, Carson, what can the Nuggets do to, I guess, get into that title uh, contention? Get Bradley Beal. I really think that that is it. If you have Bradley Beal on this team, they very well could be the favorite. What do you give up, Michael Porter Jr.? It's so hard to say because I don't think the Nuggets would ever do that. And MPJ has looked really good out there. And you don't want to rush the window because, I mean, these guys are super young. Jokic just turned 25. Jamal Murray's still 22, if I'm not mistaken. And in history, that's a good point, Carson. In history, when you rush it, you just kill your team for the future. We see the Cavs, and of course, the Cavaliers did get a title out of that. And Mm -hmm. I don't think they'd trade that for anything. Yeah. Um, they're in the dumps right now. Yeah. You see what uh, the Brooklyn Nets did when they tried to go all in by getting you know Paul Pierce, well, Kevin Garnett. Abysmal. That was a disaster. I think you're right. So, But if they can get Bradley Beal next season, if they could get a trade to go yeah. through by giving up Michael Porter Jr. and maybe some other assets, yeah. do you pull the trigger? I think you do. If I... Michael Porter Jr. has shown incredible shot-making ability. He's been a weapon off-ball. He's been a great offensive rebounder. He's good as a cutter. Defensively, he's he's a little upright. He's a little stiff, and I think that's why we've seen that he isn't mm-hmm. getting consistent minutes because you have to be able to play defense, and that's one thing that the Nuggets do have. They have great defensive wings, but Beal is a top-10 shot-maker in the league, I would say. The dude is an absolute bucket, and he is an offensive engine, and playing off Jokic, I think he could be incredible. So... I think you have to do it because at the end of the day, the goal is to win a title. Mm-hmm. It's not to invest in being really good for a decade and maybe never winning a title. Yeah. Let's go back to the East. The number four seed in the East, the Miami Heat, are they a contender? This team has zero chance to win the NBA Finals. And I love Miami. I love mm-hmm. what they've done. I love what Coach Spo has done with this roster. All the great three-point shooting that we have seen from this roster. Mm-hmm. It's it's a fun team to watch. Absolutely. That being said, no team is winning a title if your second best player is Kendrick Nunn. And that's been our gripe all season long. That's mm-hmm. why, Carson, you voiced your opinion so heavily that they needed to acquire Danilo Gallinari yeah. or they needed someone else because Kendrick Nunn cannot be your guy. As much as I love him and as much as I love what Tyler Hero has done this year, as Duncan Robinson mm-hmm. has done, as Kelly Olynyk has done, mm-hmm. It's just simply a roster not good enough to win a title. Yeah, well, Bam is definitely their second best player. Yeah, sorry. But Kendrick Nunn was their second leading scorer for most of the year. Now it's Goran Dragic, but it's the same issue. You're absolutely right. That is not enough offensive dynamism to win a title. And I think we've seen, especially when you have the number 14 defense in basketball, which is what they have right now. Bam Adebayo, an all-star this season. And I say Kendrick Nunn's their second best player. I think we knew what you yeah, meant. Yeah. I think we knew what you meant. But 
yeah, this team's been 12-12 and 12 since December 30th, and they have 10 very legit NBA players. Jimmy's having a great season. The three-point shooting, it's weird how bad he's been, but he's also getting to the line like a crazy man. But when Drogic is your second-leading scorer, when you're 13-17 and 17 on the road, you're 8-0 in overtime games, which is kind of fluky, there's just enough things that alarm me that make me count them out. Yeah, I was just going to add that when you're 13-17 and 17 on the road, yeah. the Miami has to get this four spot to even have a chance. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with that. Let's go to the West, and I think one of the most interesting teams in this conversation. They're currently seated four, and they've been moving up. The Houston Rockets, are they a contender? No. And I know we just talked about the 3 and D, I guess, what would you consider it? An ideal? And a, what is the... their The ideology for the Rockets? Yeah, it's just 3 and D? It's beyond 3 and D. It's we are going to, we're going to go small. We're going to shoot a bunch of threes, and we're going to try to keep you from shooting threes for the most part. As interesting as that is, they don't have a chance because you don't have a big man. Mm-hmm. And... Until I see, this is a, it comes with a bit of a caveat, right? Mm -hmm. If the Rockets get to the conference finals this year, I will genuinely say that they can win a title maybe next year. Mm -hmm. You know, you just need to add in a a few more pieces and Mm -hmm. move a few pieces Mm -hmm. around. But there has been nothing in the past that has shown me that this team has any kind of chance at getting to the finals. I agree. And I think that part of... The key of this issue is they have stripped themselves of versatility. And versatility is one of the most valuable things you can have. A look with Clint Capella, even if you're only going to play him 20 minutes, is so valuable for Mm -hmm. certain matchups. And acquiring Robert Covington, to me, will never be worth giving up that versatility. But the results have been impressive. They're 4-2 since adding Covington. They've beaten the Lakers, Celtics, and Jazz. But when they beat the Lakers, the Lakers shot 9 of 31 from 3. And I think it was pretty weird that they hadn't really had time to plan for that matchup. The Jazz shot 7 of 31 from 3 in their loss. That's just not going to happen often. They're taking 12 more threes per game than their opponents, so that's a legitimate advantage. Mm. But their lack of versatility will hurt them. It is not a question of if, it is a question of when. And I do believe that if you look at this on paper, it's, oh, they'll force teams to try to abuse mismatches and take inefficient shots. I just don't think in a series it's going to pan out that way. You're not going to get the Kuzma long twos. You're going to get LeBron attacking the rim Mm -hmm. and either abusing your lack of a rim protector or you send help, he kicks out to a shooter. That is a a method that teams will be able to follow consistently and they will dismantle this team defensively. And I think the biggest reason that I'm counting out the Houston Rockets this year and moving forward until Mm -hmm. they prove me different is that disastrous uh, series we saw against the Warriors Mm -hmm. or, you know, the couple games that we saw Mm -hmm. where you shoot yourself out Mm -hmm. and it's just I don't think it's sustainable yeah and I think also if you're looking at the foundational pieces of this team James Harden and Russell Westbrook those are two legitimate playoff underachievers as of late especially Harden Harden has been a disaster and team wise they're 15th in defensive rating it's just not good enough to contend for a title I cannot think this is Logan I'm so glad you brought that up because that is the key to this. It is about the defense. This off offensively, this is very exciting. Yeah. There are not many teams that can guard them and they definitely make people uncomfortable and they make people scared, but you do not win titles with an average defense. Mm-hmm. When the Rockets won 65 games, they had the number 6 defense in basketball. I think that that is so overlooked. They gave up Mbamute, they gave up Ariza, and those guys really elevated that team. So we agree. And I think also if you're looking at even the small ball matchups, the Clippers can easily handle a small ball lineup. Yeah. They run Trez at the five, and I like that small ball lineup more than I like the Rockets. I completely agree. So, And I think the Lakers are just too good. They won't have an answer for AD and LeBron. So let's move on to, actually, you could argue this is the most interesting team in this conversation, the Philadelphia 76ers. They're the five seed in the East. We've talked about them plenty, but Logan, are they a contender? 
Carson, I anticipate you giving them the you know mm-hmm. contendership mark. Yeah. I'm going to go with no. I mean, okay. this team still has severe spacing issues, but my biggest problem with them is, well, one, you need that dynamic shot maker to yeah. continue in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. My biggest issue with them, though, right now is as the five speed, five speed, as the five seed, mm-hmm. they don't have home court yeah. advantage, which means somehow a team that is nine twenty on the road this year is going to have to. Maybe not if they can get it done early, but mm-hmm. you've got to go on the road your first two games of your series, and I think that'll put them in a hole that they can't dig themselves out of. The home road splits are really alarming. I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. They're the best home team in basketball, and 9-20 and 20 on the road, as you mentioned, but I think they have to be here because my criteria for this is, can I see a world in which the 76ers are in the NBA Finals? And I still can, even with the 21st offensive rating in basketball, even with the spacing issues, even with the terrible play on the road. I like the direction that they're taking this because I like that they benched Al Horford. It sucks because you're paying him like you are for the future too, but Mm -hmm. what's done is done. You have to move on. And I think that when you look at the specific lineups they trot out there, it supports the fact that they can be successful if they just don't try to force their four quote-unquote best guys together. Because when they play Horford, Simmons, Embiid, and Harris at once, they are plus 0.2 net rating. Their offensive rating is 99.7, which is Easily the worst in basketball because that team is just too big Mm -hmm. and you don't have spacing. They just can't score. But if you swap Al Horford out of that lineup for Josh Richardson, they're plus 6.2 net rating. That defense would still be the best in the league. You're not sacrificing defense there because Richardson is still great there. He's versatile. Same happens if you swap Harris for Richardson, if you swap Embiid for Richardson. So Mm -hmm. they just can't play those four together, which I think they have realized. And that's why Horford's on their bench now in this team is ultimately built to beat Giannis Antetokounmpo. They have an elite defense. They have the foundation. They're super weird. The fits don't make sense in a lot of ways, but if they figure out the right lineups, I think that they can beat anyone. I just want to swing it back over to the Rockets for a sec, Carson. I've been Mm -hmm. going through the stats here. The last team that has won a uh, title uh, with a defensive rating lower than 15 Mm -hmm. or at 15, you want to take a stab at who you think it is? I can't even believe that there is one. The 2001 Los Angeles Lakers. That makes sense. 21st in defensive rating. Holy wow. Out of 29. Wow. That is mind-blowing. But if anyone was going to do it, it would be a Lakers team going for their third title in a row. They swept the Blazers. They swept the Kings. They swept the Spurs. And the Sixers only took one game from them. That's astounding to me. Yeah. No, that team was absolutely dominant. And that's insane because, as you mentioned, they went 15-1 and in the playoffs. I can't believe that they were so bad defensively. In the 2000 season, they were the f- best defensive rating rated team. I think that what that tells you is they just didn't care. Also, I misspoke. That was their second straight title. That wasn't their their third straight. Back on track, though. Yeah. <laughs> I completely agree with the spacing issues. And no, I don't think the 76ers have a shot whatsoever. I can just see a world in which it still works. I, I can see a world, and that is why I'm keeping the door open. But I think that it is more likely than not that they will disappoint. I want you to hold on to that, Carson. Okay. I will hold I will hold out hope as foolish as it may be. Let's move on to the Jazz, the last team in this conversation. They are the five seed in the West now. They're tied for record with the Rockets, but they just lost to them. Is there a world in which they're in the finals? No, they won't be in the finals. They aren't contenders, but I still like this team more than Houston. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is I just like them more defensively, and that matters. Um mm-hmm. this team's tenth in offensive rating, ninth in defensive rating, and I mean this squad may be top heavy, you know, with uh Mitchell with Gobert, Conley, uh, and Bogdanovich has been going insane this season. Um, They aren't contenders, but I still, like I said, I like them more than the Rockets because Houston's defense is, it's just not good. Yeah, they're not contenders, and 
probably the main reason. Actually, I don't know if this is the main reason, because if they had a fully functional Mike Conley, I still wouldn't like them, but Mike Conley has been an abomination. Yeah, Mike Conley's been terrible. Carson, do you think it's do you think that Donovan Mitchell as a that he needs the ball as much in his hands as possible, do you think that factors into the dip in Conley's numbers? I think that it's probably not ideal for Conley because he's had to make an adjustment, but at the end of the day, he's not the same defensively, and he's just not hitting shots. The signature Mike Conley shot of his career probably is his floater. And this year, he's shooting 36% from 3 to 10 feet, which is that floater range, versus 49.5% last year. He's just not really playable right now. They're four points per 100 worse with him on the floor. That is the first time in over a decade that a Mike Conley team has been worse with him out there. And I do like some, I mean, I love that they added Jordan Clarkson. He has been great. He's Mm -hmm. revitalized, as you mentioned, a bench unit that needs scores because I like Royce O'Neal, but they need creators off that unit. And yes, Bojan, Donovan Mitchell, Gobert, they've all been great. They're a top 10 team both ways. I just don't see it. And when they've actually played the Lakers, when they played the best of the best, they're 0-2 against the Lakers. They haven't scored more than 95 points, which is a little bit alarming. And they're sub-500 against 500-plus teams. They are the only one of the top five teams in the West that have that on their resume. I just don't see the same upside. Mike Conley's PER this season is 12.9. He's just not the same right now. And it's really unfortunate because they invested in him as the piece that would put them over the top. And with the way Bojan Bogdanovic has played, if we got peak Mike Conley... It may be that he actually was that guy, but right now, he's just not, and the Jazz aren't there as a team. Let's move on to discuss some of the top underrated performers, guys that have really stepped it up, and we're looking at not on the season as a whole, as of late, over, you know, since the start of 2020 or any stretch since then. I think Jordan Clarkson is definitely a candidate there, Logan. Who are some people you have? Well, I actually tried to determine this entire season. Uh People have slipped under the radar. Okay. And the first guy that I put down is Terry Rozier. Okay. And the reason being is everybody is, you know, fawning over Devontae Graham, as mm-hmm. they should. This improvement has been insane. Terry Rozier is quietly putting together a really good season. 17.5 points per game, 4.5 boards, and 4 assists. Now, it is <laughs> – they're kind of uh, slipping away in North Carolina just because yeah. the East is terrible. Yeah. And somehow, Charlotte is 10th in the East at 19-37. and 37. That's insane. That's disgusting. Um I still think he's a little overpaid here, but yeah. no one's been talking about Rozier, and he's putting together. Uh, he's put up some really good numbers this year. I like that pick a lot, and the reason I like it is I hated the Terry Rozier signing. As I did I. He's ball dominant. He's reckless. He thinks he's better than he is, but his adjustment and willingness to play off the ball and to play off of Devontae Graham, his uh, catch and shoot numbers. I mean. His three-point shooting overall has been outstanding on the year, and he has adjusted to the point where I like him more as a two because he's not really that great as a creator for others. He's more of just a go-get-a-bucket kind of guy, and when you put him off the ball and when he can shoot like he has this year, I think you see that. So I like that pick. I'm going to go with a guy that has really stepped it up lately, and that is Malik Beasley. Malik Beasley in Denver was averaging 18 minutes a game, 7.9 points on 39% from the field, 36% from three. But in Minnesota, in just four games, I will admit, but... 23.3 23.3 points, 46, 44, 88 shooting splits. They are 13.4 per 100 better with him on the floor. He's averaging more points per game in his time in Minnesota than D'Lo and Cat have over that stretch. He's been their leading scorer, and I think that he's actually really intriguing for them going forward because he's going to be a free agent this offseason. There was really no value for Denver in trying to keep him because they weren't going to be able to bring him back. He was going to demand too much on the market, but... He's an explosive athlete. He can shoot off the dribble and shoot off the catch, and he's just 23 years old, and I've always really liked him. I still think Denver made the right move because he is redundant there, and he's not quite good enough defensively to play over some guys. But in Minnesota, if he's, let's say, their fourth guy, 
I really like him, especially offensively. No, I really like the pick here, Carson, and he's you know he's starting here in Minnesota, which will give him time to you know blossom. And well, now that D'Lo and Cat, I mean, they're not playing again today because those guys are just going to not play whenever they want. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he has the chance to be the actual focal point of the offense, and it's exciting to watch because he's a dynamic shot maker. If you're Minnesota, how much do you give up to bring him back? Fifteen million a year. I'm not paying him twenty million plus, but I think fifteen is a reasonable a reasonable uh, talking point. So, who else do you have on this list? Uh, so, my next guy is pretty simple. I've been high on him all season. I've talked about him a bunch, and it's George Hill. Um, yeah, only great pick. Only nine and a half points per game this season, three boards and three assists, but he's an integral part of the Bucks' offense and shooting. I mean, he's the literal best shooter in basketball this season. Yeah. And I just feel like enough people haven't been talking about him. We've seen, we've seen in the past George Hill get you know, relatively hot from deep uh, on a season or two. But on the year, I mean, I mean, on his career, he's only 38.5% from yeah. deep. Uh, we've seen a couple seasons back in 2018-2019 uh, uh, with Cleveland, uh, 46% from deep and some other over 40% seasons. But this year, at 50.8% from deep, that's that's insane. Great pick, and I think that collectively you could maybe lump him together with like a Dante DiVincenzo and a Pat Connaughton as overall underrated pieces from the Milwaukee bench because I mean these guys are playing legitimate minutes because the the Milwaukee starters play 30 minutes a game or mm-hmm. less because they blow everyone out every game and these guys have done a great job of complimenting the starters and creating for themselves when when they're the ones out there so George Hill is a great pick I'm going to stick with my theme though of guys that have picked it up lately and here's a bit of a deep cut for you Logan Gary Trent Jr. Gary Trent Jr. was a guy that earlier this season wasn't even playing. Through January 17th, he was averaging 4.2 points per game, 36% from the field, had only played in 30 games, and was getting 13 minutes per game. His last 14 games, 28.5 minutes per game, he's been getting some starts, 13.1 points per game on 49-45-81 shooting splits. And I have really grown to like him, and my my good friend Carvel Teft proposed to me the idea a couple weeks ago that Gary Trent Jr. was better than Anthony Simons. And I've been a, I've loved Anthony Simons since mm-hmm. the draft. And I said, well, there's just no way. Simons is more fluid. He's a more dynamic shot creator. But Gary Trent, what he gives you defensively, because he's 6'5", he has a 6'8.5 wingspan, he's got quick hands, he gives you effort there, and he's a great pure shooter. He's comfortable enough handling. He plays under control and within himself. And when he gets to his spots, he's actually really good. I mean, he really likes mid-range pull-ups, which basketball analytics will tell you isn't a great shot, but he hits it at a high clip, and he just turned 21, so he has room to grow. So I think he's actually an underrated, valuable piece. And of course... What they always need in Portland are reliable 3 and D wings. That's what Mo Harkless and Alfred Camino couldn't be because they couldn't hit enough shots. And if Gary Trent can fill that role, I mean, he's not a 3 or a 4, but I th- still think he's an intriguing piece. Yeah, you can fill it up. A couple of big performances here of late, a uh, mm-hmm. 30-point game against uh, Oklahoma City. Carson, is it time to add him to the, uh, to the Terrence Davis club? No, I don't like him as much as Terrence Davis. I love Terrence Davis. Terrence Davis is awesome. But he's in, he's in the same zone. I, so I, I like the comparison overall. Who else do you have for us? Uh, my final guy is a guy that you have been very high on all season long, Carson. You've talked about him a bunch, and it's okay. Evan Fournier. Yeah. Um, Evan Fournier's been having a really good season, and of course, he's not going to get as much attention because the Magic are 24-32, and 32, and yeah. again, somehow in the 8th spot in the East, I hate the Eastern Conference. Um, Evan Fournier's putting up 18.8 points, 2.7 boards, and 3.1 assists, and like I said, you know, other than Carson, no one's really paying him a whole lot of attention. Uh, I believe he's a free agent this mm-hmm. offseason, which, again, speaks to the point he's going to get his bag. Yeah, he definitely will if he chooses to opt out of his player option because this is a weak free agency, and 
just as a raw shooter, he's intriguing, but also the fact that he can legitimately create for himself, and he's not that old. I think he's 27, so yes, he will definitely draw intrigue. I would like to shout out Jordan Clarkson. He's not my third guy officially, but Clarkson okay. has been great since Utah. He's actually put them over the top in some situations, averaging 16.4 a game on 49% from the field, 38% from three. He scored 30 a couple times. He's been their best closer at times, and he's definitely been better than Mike Conley. So I'm going to be interested to see how they balance him versus Conley going forward because Clarkson is a doesn't pass very much, doesn't play all that much defense, but can fill it up as a scorer kind of guy, whereas Conley is theoretically more of an all-around point. Mm-hmm. But he hasn't really been that this year. My guy... Malik Monk. Oh. He's picked it up lately. Am I sold? (laughs) No, I will not let myself get trapped again. But before January 20th, he was averaging 8.2 points per game on 42, 26, 79 shooting splits. So he was brutal. And over his last 12, he's averaging like, I want to say somewhere in like the 17 range. When he hits his threes reliably, he's a really good scorer. He's a dynamic athlete. He's got the handle. He's got the pretty jumper. He just turned 22. He looks the part. And yes, the defense and the playmaking are too far away, but he just keeps tempting me. No, the Hornets have been giving him minutes, and he's been performing. Um, make sure you follow at Karsobi on uh, Twitter for all of your Malik Monk <laughs> Malik updates. Mon- there was one time where I said that Malik Monk was better than Michael Jordan. Oh no! Actually, what I said was <laughs> what I said was um, Paris Malik Monk is better than Michael Jordan because they played one game in Paris and he scored thirty on super efficient shooting. So I stand by that. Uh, let me pull up his stats from the last 12 games for you because they are legitimately 17.8 points per game, 47% from the field, 37.5% from three. The Malik Monk bandwagon is still going, and you know what? Officially, I'm saying it here. I'm back on. No, I'm not. I can't. I can't. He doesn't play defense, and he doesn't pass the ball, but when he's hitting his shots, he's a fun guy to watch. So with that, we will take it to break. On the other side of the break, we are going to be doing everyone's favorite segment, Award Tour, handing out our awards for the week. And we're going to be talking about an interesting proposition by the NFL. You're listening to Blaze Radio on blazeradioonline.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into Nerd Sesh and welcome back into Award Tour, where the first award of the week the Numbers Do Lie Award goes to Russell Westbrook, who had 34 points last night versus the Jazz on 14 of 24 shooting, 2 of 4 from 3, and he tore into Rudy Gobert publicly after for letting him shoot. He was saying that's cash. But last time they played, he also roasted Gobert about how he just kept going at his chest when he had 39 against the Jazz just a few games ago. And if you're looking at the numbers, obviously you should let Russell Westbrook shoot. He hadn't made two threes in a game in five weeks. He's shooting 24.6% from deep on the year, under 41% from mid-range. If I'm Gobert, of course I let him shoot. I can't guard him athletically, and he's great at the rim. So the numbers do lie award goes to Russell Westbrook. Our second award is the I Hate James Naismith Award, and we're giving that to Kyrie Irving for showing zero desire to play basketball on his third straight squad. And now Kyrie is out the rest of the season. The most expensive hospital bill goes to Andre Godala of the Miami Heat because the Heat gave up Justice Winslow, then extended the elder that is Andre Godala for one year, $15 million, with a team option after that, only for his ankles to get shattered twice by Trey Young within his first week in Miami. So if you haven't seen those, I recommend you look up those clips. Our next award goes to Joel Embiid. Uh, it's the best player in the in the world award, and uh, we're giving that to Joel because he said he is, in fact, the best player in the world. And we we unfortunately are contractually obligated to believe everything Joel Embiid says. The angstiest 25-year-old award goes to Nikola Jokic. 
Now, I know what some of you are probably thinking, but Joel Embiid's 25. Well, Jokic turned 25 this past week, and you might think Embiid is the guy that would win it, but I think Jokic does because he's a better whiner to the refs, he's he's a better flopper, and when he gets tired and frustrated, which happens because he's still not in the best shape even though he shed some pounds, he'll just give up on defense. Like against the Thunder late, he just let Steven Adams drive right by him for a dunk because he just decided he was done with. And our final award, uh, you know, maybe you see a trend here on Nerd Sesh. It's the Most Handsome Man Award, and we are once again giving that to Kelly Oubre Jr. We, we just feel like he's the most handsome man. Uh, he was a clear candidate, and I think that the Academy, there was a consensus mm-hmm. on this one. So we've been doing all NBA talk as of late because the NBA has been the only thing going on. But we have some NFL news. The NFL proposed a new collective bargaining agreement with some pretty radical changes. Some of the changes included an expanded playoff field to 14 teams, so that's seven from each conference. Only the one seed gets a bye. A 17-game regular season and a three-game preseason. Player revenues increasing from 47% to 48.5% with all of the minimum salaries increasing, and reduced penalties for players who test positive for THC. So the legislative process that has happened now, the owners approved this. The NFL Players Association players' reps then voted no because of the added regular season game. The door is still open, though, for the entire NFLPA to ratify this, which just requires a majority of all NFL players. And if they were to do so, which I don't think is necessarily likely, but I don't really know because I'm not a lawyer, would take effect in 2020, except for the expanded regular season, which would be... Uh, 2021 at the earliest. Let's start with the expanded playoffs. What do you think about this proposition, Logan? Well, can I ask you a question first, Carson? Yes. If the players, can the players approve individual um, terms or is it the entire thing has to go through? It's the entire thing. Okay, so expanded playoffs. I hate it. Okay. Now, there are some some benefits to this. Mm -hmm. Good teams would not miss the playoffs. And what I mean by that is the uh, I believe the eleven and five Patriots uh, with Matt Castle, right. they would have been in the playoffs. Right. This basically means that ten and six teams will not miss the playoffs anymore, guaranteed. They're getting in. Mm-hmm. That being said, I feel like this gives too much of an advantage to the one seed. Okay. You are the only team getting a bye. The two seed who has worked all all year long mm-hmm. to get that spot. It's almost like they're making the two seeds work meaningless. And also, I would say that you are going to disincentivize competition because if there's a runaway one seed, then there's nothing. To, there's no incentive to compete for the buy that you get as a two seed, which is great for actually seeing meaningful football in Week 17. So, Logan, I went down and I thought about: Are we really leaving good teams out of the playoffs? So, I don't like this. I don't like this proposition. Let me see if this intrigues you, though. This year, do you know who would have gotten in? I know Pittsburgh would have gotten in. Steelers and the Rams and- last year. Do you know who would have gotten in? Who? Steelers and the Vikings. So the Steelers the Steelers well, would have benefited and, the past couple of years. And I'm going to say it. The Steelers should not have made the playoffs this year. Uh, yeah. I, as much of a diehard fan I am, we did not deserve. Did, did we really want to see Devlin Duck Hodges right. in the playoffs? Right. And, yes, I agree that anomalies such as that uh, aforementioned 11-5 and Patriots mm-hmm. team, you're going to have those teams left out. But mm-hmm. eight and eight teams do not deserve to get into the playoffs. And we haven't seen a 10-win team miss the playoffs since 2015. So it really doesn't happen all that often. Do we need to see these teams in the playoffs? I don't think so. And I like the exclusivity. I like that we have a round number. I like we have two mm-hmm. wild cards. I like that we have two buys. And maybe that's because that's the way it's always been. But I think there are rational arguments behind it, too. Yeah, it just works. Okay. Let's move on to probably the biggest proposed change, the expanded regular season. What were your thoughts on this? So, now, now this is not confirmed, so if you're hearing this, I, I don't mean this as this is in the CBA. Uh-huh. 
as an idea, I've heard this in the past, and normally the regulation would be that one, that you have to sit a starter for at least one game. So Patrick Mahomes would only be able to play 16 games, or you know, you'd have to always right. sit a starter. He couldn't play 17 games. Right. And if that's attached with it, I love it. I think it's fine. That being said, I don't really see the purpose. I don't really see the purpose in any of these changes. 17 games, why? So you can make a little extra money? Yeah. That's basically what it boils down to. Also, if you don't include a, where a starter has to sit and can't play 17 mm-hmm. games, when Patrick Mahomes retires and has 85,000 passing yards, yeah. it, the record books are going to be skewed off of this. And also, this will never happen if they if they... If it isn't as you've proposed it, which I don't necessarily love that because then it's kind of weird. You're not seeing the best players every yeah. week. The players are not going to accept playing an extra game. And I don't like this for a couple reasons. I like that there's more football, but I think that also if we were to do this, we would probably end up with an extra week of guys on good teams sitting out. Now, not obviously there are certain situations in which you have to play, but I think that it's possible that with certain teams, like if you have a two-game lead for the conference and you have the tiebreaker, I don't want to see guys miss their last two weeks. Yeah, and also, if a team is in the playoffs, we're going to see, basically, week 17 is going to, or week 18, actually, because, yeah. are, are we getting two buys? I don't know. If we get two buys, it'd actually be week 19, but if, in theory, week 18 here, no one's going to play. Yeah, and listen, maybe this is a bit picky, but it's an ugly number. It Every is an ugly number. Every sport has an even number of regular season games, and I also wonder, how would they redo the schedule? Because right now, you play everyone in your own division twice, you play an a-, a full AFC division, a full NFC division, mm-hmm. and then you play the two teams within your conference that finish in the same spot in their division. Yeah. So I guess that it's probably not that hard to add a fix to that, but I think it's a good format as is. Uh, I agree. So I am I'm against this, and it's not going to happen. The player revenue increase, what do you think about that? Uh, what exactly? Can you run down that one more time? It's just a boost from 47% of league revenues to 48.5% go to players, and it's an increase in minimum salaries. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm for it. I know a lot of the guys, especially a change that I would make, I would get practice squad guys more money. I yeah. would get, I, I'm all for it because these guys don't make enough money for what they do to their bodies week in, week out. Yes. I'm all for it. I completely agree, especially because most of it is coming to the lower tier guys mm-hmm. because football careers are short. They are brutal, and guys deserve to get paid while they can. And I'm not worried about a guy like Andrew Luck who can walk away from the game at 30 because he made over $100 million. Yeah. I'm worried about the guys that have three-year careers and aren't even getting paid as much mm-hmm. as they maybe could be. One last real proposition, the reduced penalties for people who test positive for THC, which obviously has been a long-disputed issue in the NFL. Yes, I, I, I'm all for this. Just because when a penalty for domestic abuce... Or something along that yeah. li- along those lines yeah. is worse than a penalty for smoking marijuana. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. And the NFL needs to come up with a what I would like to see on top of this, Carson. Mm-hmm. If the NFL could lay out just more straight guidelines for mm-hmm. stuff like this, and it would suck for Roger Goodell to have to propose. Well, when we have a domestic abuse problem, it would suck for him to have to make actual guidelines for that because that then proves that yeah. there is a heavy enough problem in the That's NFL. True. He's acknowledging that. Yeah. But when players are getting in more trouble for smoking weed on multiple occasions, instead of when Josh Brown gets one game for what he did versus Josh Gordon getting kicked out of the league, it's just a stupid rule. Right. I mean, that's the first example that I think of. And they've been absurdly harsh on it for way too long. And thank God that they're getting rid of it because this isn't, I mean, these aren't steroids, right? This is not affecting performance. Marijuana is legal for recreational use in certain states. This is not, 
I just think it's absurd that it's that it's been like this for as long as it has. Yeah, and I mean, it's also good you read up on it for uh, rehabbing and getting through injuries. I think it's just a stupid rule. I agree. So that would be nice to see. Unfortunately, I think that the CBA is not going to get I, passed because of the 17 mm-hmm. regular season games. Without that, I would be interested in seeing, like... If people are in favor of the expanded playoffs, but but this, unfortunately, it's a bit of a cash grab and it's not going to work for the guys that don't want to have to put their body on the lines even more than they already do. And also with the three game preseason, that's also you can just throw that in there. Who watches preseason football? Preseason football sucks. It really does suck. So, Logan, we we mentioned this earlier. This is going to be our sports history topic for the day because we always do one. And there hasn't been as much in the storyline. Sometimes we go with whatever's in the news, but... With Dragon Bender going to the Golden State Warriors, the Warriors now have two of the most famous busts of this decade, who of course were both taken by the Suns in 2016. Dragon Bender at number four, Marquise Chris at number eight, which is hilarious because this is, you know, the dynasty of mm-hmm. the past decade, getting two of the worst players drafted by maybe the worst franchise of the decade. So I thought we could take today to discuss some of the biggest busts of the 2010s. So who do you want to bring to the table? So I'm, I go chronologically. You know this. Okay. The first yes. guy I'm going to talk about is in the 2010 NBA draft, Wesley Johnson. Now, mm-hmm. Wesley is nowhere near as egregious as some of the other guys on my list, but mm-hmm. he was the fourth pick and he went to the Timberwolves. And I, I could have gone with Evan Turner, but you yeah. know, at least Turner hung around the league and was productive on the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. The first red flag I think I would have seen with Wesley Johnson would have been that he was 22 on draft night. I mean, his career high in points per game was 9.9, and the big sell on Wesley wow. was... Yeah. He was projected to be an immediate impact player and had gave them nine points a night. Uh, the biggest problem with these guys is you see who teams passed on. Minnesota passed on a potential front court of the future by passing on DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah. And I know what you're thinking. Well, Minnesota had Al Jefferson at the time. They dealt Al Jefferson three weeks after draft night, which means... The front office knew they were getting off Al Jefferson. You could have paired up Boogie with Kevin Love. That would have been awesome awesome to see. Mm -hmm. And then two other guys they passed on, Gordon Hayward and Paul George, when they were desperate for wings. I know they went later in the draft, so those aren't as bad. But Wesley Johnson, certainly a big-time bust. Definitely. And I think Evan Turner is probably the one that comes to people's mind first. But the fact that Wesley went one pick before Boogie, this is kind of just a weird draft overall because the best players go at 9 and 10 Mm -hmm. and Gordon Hayward and Paul George. And John Wall was in that conversation, but now, unfortunately, just can't stay healthy. So I'll go chronological with you. I have Derek Williams, who went number two in the 2011 NBA draft and was basically out of the league by 25 years old. He's played two games since the 16-17 season, career averages of 8.9 points per game on 43% from the field and 30% from three. This is another draft, actually, where most of the all-star caliber guys are ninth or later. Mm -hmm. You have Kemba at nine, you have Clay at 11, you have Kawhi at 15, but still Derek Williams uh, also... To Minnesota went right before three very solid bigs in Ennis Cantor, Tristan Thompson, and Jonas Valanciunas. So it's a pretty bad pick overall. My next guy is in the 2011 NBA draft and okay. went right after uh, Valanciunas, and that's Jan Vesely. And yeah. I think Jan Vesely is one of the worst picks ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was in the league for three years. And Carson, I'm going to read you an exact line from a Draft Express uh, Oh, please writer. do. Please do. He's gaining a reputation for being somewhat of a Blake Griffin-type spectacle at this level, doing things that people just aren't accustomed to seeing in European basketball. Wow! And outside of that, I'm scratching my head as to why anyone would have drafted him, because the report, he can't handle the ball. He has trouble finishing inside, he can't <laughs> rebound well, but he is kind of athletic. That's Blake Griffin? Yeah. Blake, okay, yeah, Blake Griffin can do all of those things exceptionally well. No, that's 
that's absurd. I mean, he played 162 career games, and not because of injuries. And, I mean, you can't really... They didn't pass on a whole a whole lot because yeah. this draft was, as you said, bottom-heavy. Kemba yeah. went. They wouldn't have gotten him because they had John Wall. Yeah. They lost out on Clay Thompson. That's kind of the big one. Yeah. I'm going to take it to another number two pick, as was Derek Williams, who I just talked about. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist went second overall in the 2012 draft. And he's still in the league. He just got bought out and now is on the Dallas Mavericks, where I really don't anticipate him playing much. But 8.6 points per game in his career on 47% from the field, 28% from three. And I'm just not sure how much time in the league he has left. He's only 26. But maybe what's most painful about this is Bradley Beal goes Mm. third overall. And imagining a Kemba Beal backcourt. Boy, that would be fun. And Charlotte, listen, they're not in the worst position right now. They have some nice foundational pieces, but they're not very good at basketball. And MKG... Definitely stunted their development as a team. I went with another guy from the same draft, and Carson, I forgot that MKG went with the second pick. That's it's kind of just easy to slip your head. Kentucky team was just so incredibly Mm -hmm. hyped up. Um, I'm going with the fifth pick in the 2012 draft, and that's Thomas Robinson to the Kings. This one is a big head scratcher, and we've seen it with the Kings front office for a while. The Kings did not need another big man. They had Demarcus Cousins at this point, a young guard tandem, and Tyreek Evans and Marcus Thornton. They should have been looking for a wing. They didn't really pass on anybody big, but they did pass on Damian Lillard, who they could have used, obviously. Um, Robinson was projected as a dominant rebounder with a potential to expand his offense, but... He just he just stunk. No, he's terrible, and he was out of the league by how old was he? Like twenty five. Yeah. Mean, he didn't even last his rookie season with the Kings. They traded him for Patrick Patterson, Cole Aldrich, Tony Douglas, and Cash. So yes, he was abysmal. I'm gonna now take us to the big turkey, the biggest of them all, and in my opinion, the biggest NBA draft bust ever. Yeah. Anthony Bennett, mm-hmm. number one in the 2013 draft of the Cavs. Now, the 2013 draft isn't great at the top, but he goes goes one spot above Victor Oladipo, who is, you know, a multiple-time All-Star and a great NBA player. And part of what's so remarkable about this is that there was no consensus that Anthony Bennett was the guy in this draft. I looked at three mock drafts from right before this draft, and they all had him 7th or lower. Bleacher Report had him 7th. NBA DraftNet had him 10th. Sports Illustrated had him 7th which is so alarming, and then he plays 151 career games, averages 12.6 minutes, 4.4 points on 39% from the field and 26% from three, got off to as bad of a start as anyone, scored mm-hmm. five points in his first seven games, missed his first 15 career shots. It's so weird because no one even expected it in the moment. Another head-scratcher about this, Carson, for me is mm-hmm. Anderson Vergeau at this time is their second-best player, Yeah, so it's a big man. Yeah. And then another young promising guy they had is Tristan Thompson. And at this point, Thompson is a tweener between the four and five because of where we were in the NBA. Yeah. And it just didn't make sense to get another big. No, it absolutely didn't. And it also didn't help that that big was absolutely terrible. Um, So my final uh, draft bust from the 2010s, Mm -hmm. Giorgio's Papayanis. Oh, I like this pick. And he was the the 13th pick. So they're not losing out on a lot, but... Again, the Kings, drafting a big man when you don't need one. You have a promising young center in Willie Cauley-Stein, mm-hmm. and then the best big man in basketball, DeMarcus Cousins. Now, uh, if you look at this, the Suns actually took him, but they had agreed on a trade for Marquise Chris. Um, they did acquire uh, Bogdanovich, which is which is a good acquisition yeah. there, but you get Papianis, and he's a slow, lumbering, back-to-basket big man who was just, in 2016, he was already extinct. And if you look at the guys they passed on, they could have nabbed Karis LeVert or Pascal Siakam, but nothing major. Papa Giannis, though, terrible. And it's tough to be one of the biggest draft busts ever when you're picked 13th, but when you basically don't play in the NBA. I mean, he played 39 career games, so then you make a pretty strong case for yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that, obviously, if we look at some other guys in that 2016 draft, Chris and Bender both have to be there. I mean, Dragon Bender was 
tremendously hyped up and has basically not been a playable NBA player. Not basically. He hasn't been a playable NBA guy. And I said at the time, Bender's going to go four yeah. because of Kristaps Porzingis. That's I mean, what happens. People follow trends. People were salivating at the fact that maybe you could get another Kristaps and... He just flopped. Yeah. So we had to shout them out. I think that just to shout out one more Phoenix Sun, as I see Vaughn Jones is outside the studio, a huge Suns fan. Josh Jackson's going to end up being a good bust of the decade because, Oh yeah. I mean, I know he just had 20 in Memphis the other night, but I think that we're all aware that if he doesn't develop a reliable jump shot, which is not going to happen, he will not be a playable NBA player for the long term. So that's going to do it for us here today at NerdSesh. We hope you've enjoyed. We're getting into the the thick of the NBA season. We're going down the stretch, so it's pretty fun to see. But I've been Carson Brebber. Alongside me was Logan Camden. You're listening to Blaze Radio on blazeradioonline.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, And I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.